1: Kiwi making Kiwi better off. Well, what a year it's been for wonks like me who worry about financial markets and interest rates and inflation and the economy. We all thought 2020 was wild, but 2021 has been something else. We've had inflation take off like we've not seen in 30 years. We've seen the Reserve Bank put up interest rates twice, which we weren't expecting at all. We saw the housing market amazingly grow another 25 to 30% in 2021, when we just didn't expect that either. In fact, the government was so desperate to stop it from rising so fast, it did a couple of extraordinary things. It changed the tax rules for landlords so that they can't claim interest as a taxable expense anymore, at least if it's their existing. Landlord place because you can now uh, build a house and own it as a landlord and be exempt from that rule. The Reserve Bank, as it had signalled, tightened the rules for LVRs and said it would consider changing to include uh, limits on debt to income multiples. We saw the banks, particularly at the end of the year, tighten up their lending to all sorts of people. And all through This year, COVID, which we thought might be on its way out now that we've got these vaccines, came at us again and again, firstly with Delta and now with Omicron, disrupting the world's supply chains, creating inflation that we weren't expecting from places we weren't expecting. And meaning that shelves all around the world are not quite as full as they used to be. Although, when you look closely, you can see that the volumes that have gone through the global trading system are well above previous record highs. It's a world in which we're not quite sure how it's going to turn out. We had a contest between team transitory, those central banks who think that inflation is such a short-term thing, and team Permanent those central banks, including our own, who are worried enough about inflation to put up interest rates. And the question we're all asking now is, will this be the pinprick that bursts the bubble in asset prices all around the world? So far, it hasn't been. And of course, the dream for central banks is to just quietly let the air out of the bubble and not to scare the horses too much. But prices, particularly for tech stocks and houses in New Zealand, are so elevated that there are a few people worried about that. It's been quite a year, and next year, phew, well, we hope (laughs) settle down a bit. We thought 2022 would be quieter. It turned out not to be. But next year, we'll see whether there's a sequel to Omicron and whether New Zealand in particular gets the economic rebound we're all hoping for through a summer without too many uh, cases of COVID, and one where our 90% double vaccination rate helps us avoid the worst uh, pain that we've seen overseas. It's been quite a year. I'm Bernard Hickey, and we're now about to have a wrap, a lap around the world's economic matters, finance, interest rates, house prices with a friend of the podcast, Jared Kerr, the Chief Economist at KiwiBank. I spoke to him in the week ending the 17th of December about 2021 and what's coming for 2022, just after the break. When the Facts Change is brought to you in partnership with KiwiBank to help you understand the issues affecting the economy. And that's what their team of experts is here to do too. Here's Kiwi Bank economist Sabrina Delgado on the current grim status of the global and local economy. Globally economic output and activity is slowing. Higher interest rates are weighing heavily on demand and crushing activity. It's not pretty, but it's what's needed to bring down inflation. Here in Aotearoa, the outlook is soft at best. Our impressive surge in net migration helps lift activity, but still the economy is weakening under the weight of the Reserve Bank and a softening global backdrop. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to stay up to date with detailed economic analysis and forecasts from Sabrina and other KiwiBank experts. They take big issues from both here and overseas and make them relevant to Kiwi businesses. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has the lowdown on everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. Join some of the superstars of the investment and business world as they share advice from their time in the US so you can make your mahi count in this massive market. The Investment Fix podcast, brought to you by Invest New Zealand. Tune in today.
0: Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makaurau, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective.
1: Well, kia ora to Jared Kerr from Kiwibank, Bank, an old friend of the program, When the Facts Change. Jared, it's great to see you there in Auckland.
0: Kia ora, Bernard. Uh, thanks for having me back. It's, uh, it's great to be on the show again.
1: Yeah, and what a year. Um, what were the big surprises for you?
0: Oh, there were a lot of surprises this year. I mean, the fact that we were uh, thrown back into lockdown was a surprise, but I think the The balance of things this year has definitely been upside surprises rather than downside. And I think um, resilience has got to be a, a term of the year. You know, we found ourselves facing many challenges, but I was incredibly surprised at how resilient the New Zealand economy was. The fact that we find ourselves here with a record low unemployment rate, high inflation, and a housing market that's printed 30%. Growth over the last year—it's just staggering.
1: It's extraordinary, isn't it? We've just had the biggest economic and social shock in our lifetimes, and you're right. Three point four percent unemployment, thirty percent house price growth, Um, wage (laughs) growth—actually, amazing during a lockdown. It really is something else. But when you look at how people feel at consumer confidence, and uh, and also business confidence, we've got some fresh figures out today. There's this interesting dissonance between you know how good the numbers look and how maybe not so good some people feel.
0: Yeah, I think we're doing well, but we we're not happy about it. Um, I think you know things are actually doing reasonably well out there uh, for for most people, but the feeling is you know there's there's lockdown fatigue, and um, we we just it's almost like we don't want to be happy about our current situation. We're we're more pessimistic than the, the economic data would suggest we should be.
1: Yeah, it's not uh, only in New Zealand where you we're seeing this pattern. You're seeing relatively low consumer confidence in places like the States, even though they've also got very strong employment growth, wage growth. It really is a, a an interesting thing. Obviously, COVID's been a shock for, for a lot of people, just thinking about that COVID shock, it's now clear that we've got some inflation that's come out of COVID in a couple of different ways. Let's sort of focus on those with the supply chain first. What can you tell us about you know, how that's flowed through into higher prices and various problems in the economy?
0: Well, first of all, we came out of our lockdowns a lot stronger globally than anyone imagined. So there was a, there was a massive demand shock to start with. And there was a massive surge in e-commerce. You know, you think of, of Amazon and, and, and others. So there was a huge shock on the demand side. And supply of shipping and, and uh, freight globally has not kept up with demand over the last decade. So we we're a little bit short to start with. And then throw in COVID and the new health regulations, social distancing, shutting down of, of ports and manufacturers, and we found ourselves with very clunky uh, seized up supply chains and that put a huge cost pressure on retailers and, and you know manufacturers and construction workers and we've seen it right throughout the economy the impact of the seizure and global supply chains I mean we, w- we would not have seen this coming
1: but it's sort of amazing really that our export receipts for our traditional you know meat and dairy and even wool, um, certainly fish and forestry, have done extraordinary well. So not only have we actually got them off the wharves <laughs> to the customers, but the prices, oh, the prices. <laughs> Tell us about how the rural sector and our exports have, have done this year.
0: Yeah, I mean, you talk of surprises over the year. One of the big surprises was the terms of trade shock. So the fact that our export prices outperformed um, our import prices over the years, and that's, that's huge for rural New Zealand. That's a big income boost when you've got dairy prices at near record levels, you know, forestry, all the other good stuff that we produce and send overseas. The fact that they're receiving such high prices for these goods is, uh, is incredible. And again, it points to strong demand overseas for our product and the fact that we've got such good products. And um, it's a it's been a real income boost for rural New Zealand. That's quite the thing, isn't it? Because our international
1: tourism has
0: utterly collapsed,
1: <laughs> in a way. And we thought it would come back sooner than it has. It obviously hasn't, and we're not going to have it this summer either. But as you talk about resilience, it's the rest of the economy, the construction sector, the goods export sectors uh, that have really taken up the slack to the point, you know, 3.4% unemployment. Um, Just put that on the wall and think, who would have thought at the beginning of 2021,
0: 3.4% unemployment? No, I mean, that's that's amazing given the disruptions that we've had. Uh, I think migration... Uh, The lack of migration that we've had has been a big part of that. It's almost like we're going through a perfect experiment where we're shutting our borders, shutting off that tap of labour supply and uh, seeing how things pan out. And while that means that people have to fight for Kiwis to get those jobs and we've seen, you know, unemployment drop uh, quite dramatically actually. I mean, 3.4% is the lowest equal on record. Uh, it was only there for a brief period in, I think, December 2007. So it's a yeah very good outcome. And
1: do you think this tightness in the labour market, the lack of migrants coming in, the very high participation rates, unlike in some other countries where people gave up work or retired or got sick, uh, here, you know, participation rates record highs, uh, particularly for women. And... The expectation is that this will turn into wage inflation next year, because uh, at the moment, it's a bit of a lagging indicator, but it still it doesn't look like it's going nuts. So what's your feeling about how that will translate into wage inflation, if it does, next year? And how is that going to happen? Are we going to see lots of poaching bonuses and teams walking out or strikes? Or what do you reckon?
0: We're, we're already seeing it, Bernard. It's just not quite showing up in the in the data. We are already seeing some pretty big pay rises, particularly in construction, that's already starting to, to feed through. We're seeing wages pick up. It's just how broad-based those gains will be over the next year, and we do expect them to become more broad-based. I mean, the theory is, if we're at full employment, around four, four and a quarter uh, unemployment rate, and here we are, in the, in the mid threes, uh, that means you've got to generate wage inflation. And that's what we see historically. So yes, over the next year, wages will rise. And on top of that, you've already got inflation, broad-based inflation running at 5%, soon to be running at uh, 6%. So when wage negotiations come around... You know, the employee can turn to the employer and say, "Hey, look, inflation's at five percent. You know, I'm I'm not going to take a one and a half, two percent pay rise. I need more just to just to stand still." And do you think that employers, um,
1: because they've gone through a long period of skill shortages, relatively low unemployment? That uh, the employers will go, yeah, I really can't afford to let this person go. You know, it's so hard to find new people these days. Yeah, okay, you can, you can have it. Or is there, is there going to be a bit of a tussle going on?
0: Well, it depends on the on the sector. I think if you're looking at construction, it's very much we need to pay up to keep these people from going elsewhere. Um, and I think in in parts of the primary, you know, sector and farming and horticulture and the like. We're seeing some decent pay rises coming through there as as well. Um, and in the service sector, it's going to be very mixed. You know, you're not going to get your big pay rises in restaurants and bars and cinemas and these sorts of places that are really struggling, but you will get it in, in other uh, service sectors, you know, professional services that are doing reasonably well. So it will be mixed. It always is. Um, but I think, yeah, in order to keep people, uh, employers are going to have to pay up.
1: Now, the other big surprise, I suppose, uh, this year, as we certainly didn't expect at the beginning of the year, is the Reserve Bank putting up interest rates twice and forecasting that it will put up interest rates over the next couple of years to about 2.6%. That flowed through into the wholesale markets and has already sort of uh, bounced through into significantly higher fixed mortgage rates, you know, uh, 1.5%, 2% or so in some of those longer term uh, fixed mortgage rates. Uh, how do you think the economy is going to handle that uh, increase in the official cash rate and those higher mortgage rates? Because it's not happening immediately, but over the next uh, year or so, about 70% of those mortgages will roll over into new terms. How do you think the the economy will handle those slightly higher mortgage costs?
0: I think it's going to be an interesting um, thing to watch and we'll need to watch discretionary spending over the next year but I think it's definitely going to hurt you know relatively new uh, homeowners who have you know entered the market in recent years i mean i i don't think we've had a rate rise since two thousand and fourteen so there's a lot of people out there that have not seen uh, interest rates rise so there will be some that thought that a two percent or two point five percent mortgage rate was normal well it wasn't that was that was an emergency setting that that was that was sort of set at that level to make sure we get through a pandemic and uh, as it turns out you know that resilience term again we we got through a lot better than anyone had forecast, and the central bank's in a situation where they're trying to uh remove that emergency setting um and interest rates have have risen as you said, so we're going to need to uh, tread carefully and, and see just how sensitive the economy is to uh, higher rates, because we've taken on more debt over the last you know, 10 years, and particularly over the last couple of years, we've taken on more debt, and more debt means you're more interest rate sensitive. Um, So higher interest rates are going to bite.
1: Now, we're not the only ones who've taken on a bit more debt. Um, I see the IMF came out yesterday and said uh, record high debt levels, both public debt and uh, household debt all around the world. And we've just seen the um, US Federal Reserve signal that it will be putting up interest rates next year. And over the next few months, it will be dialing down its quantitative easing. The European Central Bank's also looking to dial down its quantitative easing, but not stop completely. And last night, the Bank of England actually put up its official cash rate for the first time in three years. So um, one of the concerns some people have is that the, the world is so loaded up with debt, so to speak, that any increase in interest rates could, you know, really um, stop the post-COVID recovery as we, we learn to, you know, get over the shock of, of COVID, do you think that these changes in global interest rates will also have an effect on the global economy?
0: Yeah, definitely, in in time. Um, we've seen global interest rates rise, but they're certainly not high. They're actually still very low by historical standards. As you say, there's a lot more debt out there, so countries are more sensitive to rising interest rates, but we're miles away from interest rates at levels that would concern um, most developed Economy, uh, central banks, and and uh, and treasuries. So, we're not at levels that derail any recovery. But yes, I think the story for next year is is rising global interest rates, and that will put upward pressure, believe it or not, on New Zealand uh, interest rates as well.
1: So, one of the things we've seen over the last few years is that as interest rates have fallen, asset prices have risen for the obvious reason that you can afford to borrow more to buy, and also the um, the returns and dividends from a share or from a house or some other asset are more than you'd get if you were putting your money into a bond. So you see people shift out of, um, in theory, out of bonds and into stocks and other sorts of assets. And one of the concerns people have is that when interest rates turn around the other way and start going up again, there is the potential for any... Uh, excessive valuations in stocks and other assets to drop quickly. What are you seeing out there in terms of uh, whether uh, the rise in interest rates could cause ructions on financial markets and some sort of slump in asset values?
0: Yeah, what what you just described uh, quite nicely actually is, is exactly what is supposed to happen that this is exactly what central banks try and engineer they they want lower interest rates so that you can boost asset prices and consumption and and all that good stuff um, during a downturn and well when you lift interest rates you're trying to do the absolute reverse you're trying to slow it all down so we've gone through a period of record low interest rates and I mean record low like the last we've seen in, in human history. And now we're lifting interest rates or at least planning to lift interest rates overseas um, in order to go back to more normal settings. Um, They're not at a point where they want to slow things down. They're just at a point where they want to remove some of the stimulus as it's no longer um, required. So I think, you know, in terms of financial markets, we will see higher interest rates next year but not at levels that will derail equity markets or other asset markets next year. I think that's just, that's just a conversation you and I will be having for 2023.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, speaking of conversations, you know, over summer people have lots of barbecues and I hope we have lots of barbecues this summer. Uh, and one of the conversations over barbecues, um, sadly or not, is, you know, ah, oh, how's your house prices? What do you reckon will happen with house prices? So uh, over the next year or so, Jared, um, what's, your, what's your feeling, uh, forecast? Uh, things to watch on house prices?
0: So we are pretty much in line with most forecasters saying that house price growth has been too quick, too fast, and there's been enough done to really slow it down. And if we don't see enough done to slow it down, then we're going to see a central bank that comes out and hikes interest rates even higher. So there's going to be a period of consolidation in the housing market, so house price growth goes to zero and I think there's a good chance that um, house prices actually fall over the forecast horizon, um, given just how fast we've we've gone and everything that's in the pipeline, particularly higher uh, interest rates, but the fact that supply is picking up as well, which is c- critical uh, in New Zealand. So I think we will see a housing market over the next five years that actually rebalances um, and uh, and becomes a lot more affordable.
1: But uh, do you think there's a chance that a small uh, fall, which most forecasters I've seen have, have talked about a two, three, four, five percent uh, fall from the peaks, uh, do you think that there's a potential for something a bit bigger than that, or or can we rely on the fact that you know most banks aren't going to. Kick people out. Uh, most people who have mortgages have quite a bit of room to spare in terms of disposable income, and uh, and also you know if things got uh, too hairy, the Reserve Bank would probably stop stop increasing interest rates as well. So, um, what's your feeling about you know whether it's a gentle thing or whether it could be something a bit more shocking?
0: Well, you're right. There's a lot of moving parts and it's quite a dynamic story as we go along. You know, if one thing happens and another thing, you know, counteracts and, and so on and so forth. But, you know, we're, we're saying a, a mild correction. And the reason we're saying a mild correction is because the unemployment rate's at record low and the labour market is so strong and the New Zealand economy is doing so well. You don't normally see massive corrections in a housing market unless, as you say, people are losing their jobs and being forced out of their homes. Um, and we're not forecasting anything like that. We're forecasting, you know, higher interest rates and the impact of um, deep uh, LVRs, potentially DTIs, and other restrictions cooling the market down. Uh, if we were to enter a situation where the unemployment rate's rising sharply, then, yeah, you, you find yourself in a position where house prices can fall a lot a lot faster. So
1: we're heading in towards the end of the year. Summer's coming. Uh, one thing I really enjoy about sort of economics and markets and things is trying to get a feel for how the economy is. It isn't a physical thing. It's just a collection of Signals and noise and anecdotes, and I think uh, Keynes, who we've stolen the name of this podcast from, When the Facts Change, Keynes used to talk about the animal spirits of the economy. What's, what's your feeling about how we're headed into summer going into next year? How does, the, how does the economy feel if it was an animal?
0: Well, I think the animal spirits, like we sort of touched on before, you know, the animal's running along quite nicely, but doesn't feel good about it. And it's a little uncertain and not quite sure about what's happening over the next year. So with that uncertainty, the animal spirits certainly aren't irrational and the exuberance certainly isn't there either. Um, so I think we're doing well, um, particularly when you look at all the numbers that we've gotten. Guys like you and I, Bernard, we love the noise. We love the data. We love the, the, the complication of it all. But simplifying it right down to spending, um, what's happening in the economy, our economic activity, our labour market, inflation, all of the signals that we look at are all really strong. And it would take a really big disruption, like a really big disruption to derail the New Zealand uh, economy. So I think the feeling is uncertain. The feeling is still, oh, we've got COVID to deal with still but the performance is, is pretty good. It's like a Ferrari that's probably got the wrong muffler on. It. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, yes, no, exactly, exactly. Probably needs a, a good clean out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One of the uh, more entertaining debates in the last year or so has been this idea of team transitory, and uh, team permanent, this idea that inflation is either going to be transitory, it's just going to be here for a year or two and we'll go back to normal, or that somehow there has been some pivot or change because of COVID in the world that means that the inflation pressures are different, underlying the global economy. What's your feeling? Are you a team transitory or a, or a team, let's worry about this?
0: Well, as an economist, you know, on the one hand, I'm in team trans- transitory, and, <laughs> and on the other hand, I'm uh, on team permanence as well. Um, and it, you know, everything we spoke about before around supply chains and the disruptions, you know, at our ports, that is all transitory, and that will all unwind. And we're already seeing signs of shipping costs coming off now. So those sorts of costs are going to be lower. Uh, in six months to a year's time. They're they're lower now, but they're going to be even lower still. So we'll see some um, deflation coming through via the supply chains. Um, But hey, look, a lot of the domestically generated inflation that we're seeing is a bit more persistent, is a bit more structural. Um, So yeah, I've, I've probably got a foot in both camps and I would say that inflation is going to fall from the peak of 6% that we're forecasting in the first quarter, but it's not going to fall back to 2% in a hurry. It's going to take you know quite a bit of time for the Reserve Bank to meet their mandate there.
1: And just finally, um, sometimes I like to go back to a sort of a big picture to zoom out. Uh, the big piece of news in the sort of geopolitical uh, sense in a way this year was the Glasgow Climate Change Conference. And climate change has become much more of a topic of discussion in economic and financial circles um this this year. And, you know, we've had some pretty shocking climate events. Every week or two there's a new storm or flood, <laughs> flood or drought or something. Yeah. Um, and I know it's not something that you would, you know, plug into your short term models, but how how much of an issue is is climate change for those people running businesses, trying to think about assets, uh, prices, maybe running a balance sheet, looking at their risks. What, what, uh, what's your feeling about climate change Is something to, to, to try to understand and, and uh, prepare for?
0: Look, I think it's the greatest risk we face over the rest of our careers, over the rest of our lives. Um, climate change is something which is difficult to get your head around. Um, it's difficult to quantify um, but we know it's here and we know we need to adapt. And unfortunately, we're not adapting fast enough. Um, so there's, you know, great disappointment on, on the one hand. And on the other hand, there's a need to prepare or better prepare for, you know, adverse outcomes, you know, you know from here on. Um, and it's going to be interesting how insurance companies, banks, basically everyone deals with these risks uh, in, in coming years. And it's, a, it's going to be an awkward conversation. It's not going to be simple. Um, it's going to be a conversation of, well, I'm sorry, your, your house or your business or your farm is, um, you know, situated too low. On the land, and uh, you know, with rising sea levels, may be uninsurable in five years' time. How do you have that conversation? Does it mean higher premiums? Does it mean that you know they're not covered for floods and rising sea levels, or does it mean that they can't get insurance? Full stop. These sorts of discussions are being had now. We're thinking through these issues, you know, every you know, financial market participant will need to be aware of these big changes that are coming through in coming years, not decades anymore. We've always thought of climate change as being something of decades away. No, actually now we're adjusting for things now.
1: Excellent. Jared, thank you very much for that uh, lap around the traps and a look over the horizon. I really enjoyed it. Looking forward to doing the same uh, again sometime next year. I hope you have a, a lovely summer and you get some barbecues and some swims in and everyone's uh, safe and well. Namihi nui. Thank you very much. When the Facts Change was brought to you by the Spin Off Podcast Network together with KiwiBank. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to find out how KiwiBank are making Kiwi better off.